0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today. Thank you for tuning in. We are looking in the book of Isaiah for the last couple of chapters. It was an amazing journey to study this wonderful book of Isaiah with uh, all the interpretation, with all the riches. We know that the book of Isaiah is also compared with the Gospels. And uh, talking about Isaiah, it's uh, almost like the um, Gospel writer of the Old Testament. I would like to introduce our panel for today and I'll say hello to Joe. Good to have you with us, Joe.
1: Good to be here. Thank you, Nick.
0: It's also good to have Ken with us. Thank you very much, Nick. Good to be here today. And Brenton, also happy to have you on our panel.
2: Thank you, Nick. And we are looking forward to sharing Isaiah 65 and 66.
0: And Len, thank
2: you for joining us.
3: Well, thank you for the invitation, Nick, and hello, listeners, you're in for a
0: treat today. Hello, Lidia, good to have you with us also.
4: Feeling very grateful to be part of the Bible study.
0: I left uh, Helen uh, last, but not least, Uh, she's our facilitator for today, and Helen, this is a very wonderful uh, Bible study, talking about the rebirth of the earth, and I'll let you explain uh, that um, In your introduction but welcome to the program.
5: Thank you Nick. Yes it is um, quite an exciting study that we've got to go on today and it's a study that um, hopefully people will come away with a lot of hope.
0: I believe so and Helen over to you please take us through.
5: Thank you Nick and welcome Nick also you know on our panel and leading out for us. Okay we all wonder what the future will hold for us and every one of us has probably got some sort of an opinion but When I look in the Bible, I can't wait for the amazing things that we're going to even discuss today that God has in store for us. So we want you all to be listening as we study an important subject today. But before we do, I'm going to ask Ken, would you pray for us, please?
6: Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your word out of the Bible. We know, Lord, that every word in the Bible is important, and we want to engage with our listeners and help them understand more of what the Bible means and how vital it is for them and us. Heavenly Father, please give us the Holy Spirit as we speak your words, that we may encourage, teach and help, and expand the knowledge to all our listeners. Lord, the Bible tells us that your words are a light unto our feet. We ask, for that your Spirit would be with everyone listening today, to show them the way to Jesus and in turn everlasting life. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
5: Amen. Well, we're on to our final study of the book of Isaiah, and I found it extremely, extremely interesting in um, studying the whole book. I hope you've all enjoyed it as well. Uh, Just a couple of things before we go on. Isaiah is termed as a mini Bible, 66 chapters in Isaiah. Chapters 1 to 39 calls for repentance from the wicked ways of the children of Israel. The Old Testament, 39 books are also words of judgment. And in Isaiah chapters 40 to 66, which is 27 chapters, consolation and hope through Jesus, the New Testament also has 27 books, words of comfort. And, you know, we've gone through this whole book. It's just been amazing because if you look, um, I think I broke it down to five parts and just very quickly, part one was Isaiah 1 to 12, God is holier than you think. Part two, 13 to 35, God is sterner than you think. Part three, 36 to 39, was like a half time break on substitution. Part four, Isaiah 40 to 55, God is stronger than you think. And part five, Isaiah 56 66, God is closer than you think. So I think today in the final chapters, we're going to unwrap the glorious gift of God's amazing grace for us and the plan that he has for those who love him. We see God is actually bigger than we think. So let's look at Isaiah 65 and 66, as Brenton mentioned earlier. And um, Lydia, would you just share that whole passage with us, please?
4: Isaiah 65, verse 17 till 25.
5: Thank you.
4: For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days for the child shall die one hundred years old. But the sinner being one hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruits. They shall not build and another inhabit They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be descendants for of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord.
5: Thank you very much. And I know it was a long passage, but um, I think we just need to explain that although the new heaven and the new earth represent a promise, For people coming back from the Babylonian exile, they also have a fulfillment for the end time or eschatological fulfillment at the end of time. If attempts are made to apply all the details of this passage that Lydia just shared with us to the future, new heavens and new earth, there are some difficulties that present themselves. And I think we need to look at it from this point of view because if we see the difficulties, then it all seems to become very um, obvious as to what we're talking about. So let's have a quick look. According to verse 20, um, Len, tell us what is still present.
3: Well, this actually addresses the greatest fear that anybody normally has, and that's death. And here Isaiah in vision has been... Uh, told that God will create a new heaven and a new earth where death will no longer be present. And the verse says, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. Now, that doesn't mean that old people will die. It simply is a figure of speech, I suppose you'd have to say, Never again will there be a child who dies prematurely. Never again will there be somebody who also dies before their time. The poetic language says, he who dies at a hundred will be thought of of, as a mere youth, and he who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. Now, that seems to suggest that there will be death, but that's in contradiction to other parts of the scriptures. For example, Revelation 21 addresses this same thing where the prophet John given a vision about the new earth in verse 4, that's Revelation 21, 4, it says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or the old order of things has passed away. There is no contradiction between what Isaiah has written and what uh, John has written, because the, both these visions came from the same God. Death will be a thing of the past, and I look forward
2: to it.
5: Yes, Brenton?
2: Helen, there is another interesting point here. Um, I think Len has summarised that very, very well. The other thing is that I believe the primary application here is to a restored Israel following the exile if they were faithful to God. You have to go back to the book of Deuteronomy and look at Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 to 10, which I've just done, and you will see in there that God said that uh, they would be blessed, uh, the fruit of their body would be blessed, their herds would be blessed, everything would be blessed. They would be the head and not the tail. When you look at the original um, promises that God gave to Israel if they were faithful to him, They could have been fulfilled had Israel been faithful to him. However, because they weren't, I believe to a partial degree they were fulfilled. But I believe the ultimate fulfillment, as Len says, is at the end of time. And we know very clearly that in the new earth, there will be no more sickness, suffering, pain or death. But doesn't it give you a hint of what this earth could have been had Israel been faithful? No premature deaths. People living to 100 years of age and dying of old age, not dying of sickness, suffering and all the rest of it. God promised them, he said, if you are faithful to me, none of these diseases that I brought upon Egypt, I will bring upon you. All of those things could have been fulfilled had they been faithful to God. So I I see this as a missed opportunity, but also a glorious future.
5: Thank you, Brenton. You put that very well. I appreciate that. Okay, now let's have a look at verse twenty-three and see what's happening with the children. Joe, would you do that for us, please?
1: Yes. Verse 23 of chapter 65 says, They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, and they and their descendants with them. Now, just referring to what Brenton so beautifully put is that you know had they lived up to god's the ideal that they could have yeah. and would have been able to they wouldn't have had the trouble we know that in war and they would have gone through lots of wars and tribulations children seemed to suffer a lot of misfortune premature death being left orphans there was no government there was no no one to no sort of departments or for, you know um, organizations to help look after these children and so they were doomed to misfortune but we know that they were to have children and that was that was for that time however this is contrasted to some other verses like luke 20:35 where it says but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage as does Matthew 20 30 it says at the resurrection people will neither marry nor be given in marriage they will be like the angels in heaven so clearly there is a contrast here we don't understand fully what is meant by the New Testament verses except that somehow marriage perhaps is going to be different um, and how it all plays out it is not entirely certain and people have various ideas on this. However, we know that when the immediate application was that they were, to, they were having children and the children that they had would be blessed if they were obedient and faithful to God. But we know that right at the end of time in the new earth, it implies that there won't be marriage and children as far as we understand. So I, I'm happy to you know, to learn more about this. But, um, yeah, clearly it's not um, something that I understand completely. But there is a difference there.
5: Thank you, Joe. Okay, let's just move on. Isaiah 66, 24 tells us that worshippers on the way to Jerusalem will view something. Ken, what is it that they're going to view?
6: Well, I just want to look at a a couple of uh, books here. I'm reading from the King James Mm -hmm. Version, Isaiah 66 and 24, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of men that have transgressed against me. Obviously talking about God there. For the worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. and they shall be an ordinance unto all flesh. And just going over to Revelation 21 and 27. And there shall be in no wise enter into it, in the New Jerusalem it is anything that devileth, neither... Whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So here we're talking about, I believe, the return of Jesus and all the bits and pieces going on, all the major events that's going to happen, those that haven't come to accept Jesus are going to be uh, destroyed. And when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, there will be no one that goes into that,
3: that will define it in any way, shape, or form.
5: Thank you, Ken. Yes, Lynn?
3: It's interesting that this latter part of the verse that Ken read uh, was also quoted by Jesus. He says, the worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched. Some people use this particular statement to say there will be an ever-burning hell, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that fire cannot be quenched, it says their fire can't be quenched. In other words, the fire is not eternal. It's just that it's God performed and nobody can put it out. Yes. So I I realise this has been a very controversial issue with some. It's not with me, but I recognise here that people use this particular expression to say, there you go. People will be punished in hell for eternity.
5: Thank you, Len. Yes. Um, Brenton, you wanted to say something
2: yeah, briefly. Just, just quickly, um, there is a partial fulfilment for Isaiah 66:23 and 24 that uh, Ken read. The partial fulfilment was when the angel of the Lord came and slew 185,000 of the Assyrians who had surrounded Jerusalem and hemmed them in. Now, if you look at what Isaiah is actually saying, the literal language he is using, there would have been a point in time where the people of um, Jerusalem who were shut up, as Sennacherib says, like birds in a cage, there would have been a time when God destroyed the invading Assyrians. They would have gone out and seen exactly what is described here. So it has a dual application again. It has an application. One of its applications is to what took place during the Assyrian invasion, but it also has an application, as Len said, to the end of the world. But we know that at the end of the world the term unquenchable fire simply means that no person, fire brigade, CFS or MFS can put it out. It is something that will do its work and when its work is completed it will go out.
5: Okay, thank you. That was handled well. appreciate all your comments. Uh, Just a very short story about a young 12-year-old boy. Uh, He read a book on astronomy, but then he refused to go to school. And the mother was concerned. She took him to the doctor, and the doctor said, Billy, what's the matter? Why don't you want to go and study at school anymore? And Billy said, well, I read this astronomy book, and it said that one day the sun is going to burn out and all life on Earth will vanish. So I don't see any reason to do anything if, in the end, everything will die out. And the the, um, the doctor said, he smiled, he said, Billy, you don't have to worry, because by the time it happens, we'll all be long dead anyway. And, of course, that really is part of the problem, isn't it? In the end, we are all dead. However... That is not where the story is going to end. And we're in for an exciting time now as we look at God's tremendous plan for his people. In Isaiah 65, we find seven points about this plan. So briefly, panel, let's share this together, shall we? I think, Brenton, how about you kick us off with Isaiah 65, 17 and 18?
2: Well, Lydia has read that, so I don't really want to read Helen the whole thing again, but I will nope. read, we'll read the second part of verse 17. Uh, the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. That is also quoted uh, in a a similar context in Revelation 21, verse 4, which says there will be no more sickness, suffering, pain or death, for the former things have passed away. The Hebrew word in Isaiah 65, 17 is zakar, Z-A-K-A-R, and it generally means action taken as a result of thoughts or processes uh, in the mind that lead to an appropriate action what it means i believe here is that when we get to heaven the form of things that were bothering us annoying us and distressing us down here on earth will no longer play a prominent role because we will be with jesus and we will see him as he is but i want you just to think about this for, for a minute imagine you're in heaven. And an angel comes up to you and says, tell me, what was it like to be saved by grace? And you say, I'm sorry. I don't know. I can't remember. I can't remember anything about it. This is why I believe there has to be some remembrance. And we know that it is the nail prints in Christ's hands and feet, but there has to be some remembrance of the fact that our salvation cost everything because we are told that angels desire to look into this issue. So, we'll be in heaven, we will be with God. The former things will not come to mind in the sense that they will be so infinitesimally small that they will really not bother us anymore because we are with Jesus and we're with him um, forever. And I think that's really good news.
5: Absolutely. So we will be rejoicing forever and on the sea of glass we'll sing the song of the redeemed. Yes. Okay. Yes, Len, Thanks.
3: Well, I don't think we're all going to suffer from a terrible attack of amnesia (laughs) (laughs) because it was very ably mentioned the fact that we will remember that we were saved through the grace of God. We also have to realize that a person's identity is wrapped up in their memories. Yes. Now, I've uh, known some people who had Alzheimer's And they didn't know who they were, they'd lost their identity. But I believe it's important that we will remember who we were. And as Brenton said, he used the word infinitesimally small. I think we'll regard what we've experienced here on this earth as insignificant in comparison to the wonders that we will experience in God's presence for eternity.
5: Thank you, Lane. Ken, you wanted to say something?
3: It's just briefly. I think it's a very interesting point that Brenton brought up about
6: remembering things. But I believe, if I understand the Bible correctly, that Jesus' hands and feet will always have the scars of the nails that he had on the cross. And I think every time we look at him, perhaps we will remember how he got those and it was our fault.
5: Mm-hmm. thank you yes nick
0: just very quickly on the same aspect uh, the tendency of uh, us you know in this sinful nature is to concentrate on the negative to concentrate on the things when you look back in the past generally you know you will remember all the bad things and try to concentrate on that the difference will be as a change person because we are going to be changed we are going to be new, then I believe that will be the difference. We'll remember things, but I don't think so we'll remember the the bad things and all those things which uh, really made uh, our life on earth miserable. I think we'll remember how we were changed, how we were transformed through the power of Jesus Christ and his blood and uh, and his uh, sacrifice. I think that's what we'll remember the most. There'll be no room to start to recollect our thoughts or uh, to remember bad things from uh, from this earth. Because the whole eternity, we are going to talk about the amazing love which God showed us here.
5: Thank you, Nick. In fact, um, how would you like to share Isaiah sixty-five mm-hmm. nineteen with us, Nick, please? I think that's spot on to what you were just saying.
0: Yes, uh, and I'm just reading um, uh, this passage, Helen. It says here, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Wow. Well,
5: wow. <laughs> Isn't that great? What about Revelation 21, 1 to 4, Nick? Can you bring that together as well?
0: It reads, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Wow,
5: what a great promise. Wow, we could nearly stop now. I just think that just is something worth thinking about, dwelling on, and look at the hope we have. However, in our study, we do have a few more to go. So, Len, please share us with the Isaiah 65-2023. Maybe we'll have a summary there.
3: Yes, I will summarise, but I'd like to say this. Just yesterday, in the side street near where we live, a demolition crew finished demolishing a house. The house used to belong to a very nice elderly couple. I assume they died and so now the house has been completely knocked over and it all it's only just a bare patch of ground. But here this verse in Isaiah chapter 65 and I'm looking at verse 21, it's talking about the inhabitants of the new earth. It says they will build houses and dwell in them and will plant vineyards and eat their fruit no longer will they build houses and others live in them. or plant and others eat the fruit. In other words, we will be able to enjoy the things that we want to enjoy for eternity. One of the big problems of life at the moment is that it ceases. And with when people die, all their knowledge dies too. But that won't be the case. We will... Uh, be able to go on and on and on. And we won't uh, be sad about it because there won't be anything to be sad about. And I think this is really something to look forward to. You know, I've got a lot of fruit trees at my place and I've thought about it, Well, when I go, what's going to happen here? Is all these trees going to get rooted out and the memory of me forgotten? But it won't be the case in the new earth.
5: Thank you, Len. Okay, let's move quickly on Isaiah sixty-five twenty-four and 25. We've already heard that as Lydia read it, but Brenton, you might like to say something on that for us, please.
2: Uh, just very briefly on verse 24, the suggestion in here, because the last couple of chapters of Isaiah deal both with the issue of judgment but also of God's um, clemency or mercy if, if people repent. I love this verse, Helen. Before Mm -hmm. they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. I think this um, God is saying here that if you return to me, if you are faithful and repent of your sins, I will answer your prayers before you even utter them. Now, we spend a lot of time talking about prayer and about answered prayer and about how God sometimes seems to be dragging his feet in answering our prayers and that sort of thing. Then we tie in that with with that a statement from Psalms where it says, but your sins have separated you from God, and that's in Isaiah as well, so that he will not hear. I think what we're hearing here is a restored, first primary application, a restored Israel who has come back from captivity. If they were faithful to God, God is basically saying here, I will answer your prayers before you even call upon me. And um, then he goes on to talk about the wolf and the lamb lying down. Well, I don't know how that would have worked back there, but we do know that in the new earth, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. And, um, you know, we will have this felicity. That I think that's the word I was looking for. This felicity of um, peace and harmony throughout um, God's universe. And I think... Isaiah is trying to get his people to see your sins have separated you from God. But even now, even though God has decreed that you're going to go into captivity, it is not too late to repent. The future is bright. The future is is bright with promise if you'll give yourselves to me. And the communication where you've been offering all these sacrifices and going through all this stuff and I haven't been listening to you at all, that will change totally. If your attitude towards me changes and you recognise your sinfulness, I will hear you. I will answer you and I will, uh, I will um, make you a new person. I, I think um, you can read into Isaiah 65 and 66, as I think um, Nick said earlier on. You can see it in a negative, but I think you can also see that there's glorious hope here if we um, follow the Lord and surrender ourselves to him, and he's pleading with Israel here, ancient Israel, to do just that. Then the Lord will hear them, and he will um, answer their prayers before they even speak.
5: Thank you. Lane?
3: Helen, I'd like to say this. We can read these passages, and they're beautiful. They're poetic. They're metaphoric in some cases. But I would like to say that this text that uh, Brenton read before they call I will answer I've experienced where God had set things up in a way that I had no clue about long before I even prayed the prayer for him to solve a problem that I was dealing with months and months and months before was he was setting things up to bring Events and people together that worked out very much in my favour. So thank you, Lord, for that. And I can vouch the fact that God knows the future. He knows what's best for us. And in my case, he answered even before I
0: prayed.
5: Thank you, Len. I think most of us could probably give a testimony to that effect too, but thanks for sharing us. Nick, you wanted to say something.
0: I was just going to say that while we are talking about this, the rebirth of the planet Earth, you know, as Isaiah was writing these words in the context of uh, the everyday life in his time and with God's people, what's very important to realize today is that we can have a foretaste of heaven here on earth if we give our lives to God. Now we can live okay. hell here on this earth without God, and uh, unfortunately, uh, this planet Earth it's it's infested with sin and all bad things. But we can have a foretaste of heaven if we give our lives to Jesus right now, mm. and this is the beauty of the. Conversion. This is the beauty of us all accepting Jesus Christ in our life, and have that, because otherwise it's very how to say fairy tale. You know, just to talk about these things, what can be, but we can Amen. have that right now. And I'll, I, probably, I use a little bit too much that. Word that we can, we can now, but we can, and I like to stress out that uh, that thing that everyone who's listening, even today here, you may have a, an experience in life which can uh, be disappointing, uh, challenging, but if we trust in God, allowing Him to change ourselves, we can. Oh, Amen. I have that experience.
5: Thank you so much, Nick. All right, let's move on. Um, someone coined the phrase divine magnet, and I believe this refers a lot to some of our study today. But panel, tell me, what does a magnet do?
6: Well, Helen, a, a magnet can either repel or retract depending which way you turn around. But the one I'd actually like to mention is an electric magnet because I I see Christians as electric magnets we all have the ability to attract other people. However, if the electric's not going through us, if the electric's not going through the magnet, it won't attract anything. So here we have the spiritual application for that is that we being the magnet, and of course the electric is the Holy Ghost, and if we don't have the Holy Ghost, we're not going to be able to do very much at all.
5: Oh, man. Lynn, you wanted to add too?
3: Yes, I see in the magnet, the modus operandi, of God and the opposition to God, Satan. Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me. In other words, he doesn't force, he attracts. We must make the choice whether to serve the Lord or not. Satan, on the other hand, seems to be in the business of pushing people around. And so here's the magnet application as far as I'm concerned. The Lord attracts and Satan forces, or in this case, repels.
5: Thank you. That sums up well. Yes, Joe. Um, I've got another
1: angle on this, and that um, in history, pieces of lodestone or of natural magnet were actually suspended, and they and people used it to navigate. And if Jesus is our magnet, if he is our lodestone, if he is um there to direct our paths is a promise, isn't there? It says, this is the way, walk ye in it. It's a Bible quote. And Jesus is there as that lodestone to direct our paths.
5: That's very, very good. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate that. When we look further into Isaiah 66, we look at God's promises for his people and also God's judgment. And um, I, I've got here, I've broken down five groups of people in the passage and we want to go through these fairly quickly. I don't really want to dwell a lot on the judgment side, but it is part of it. So if we could run through this fairly quickly, Joe, Isaiah sixty-six. Could you summarise three to six, please? Okay. Look, those three verses are basically four verses are about
1: the abominations that God was um, having to witness. Um, his people doing things that were just completely abhorrent to Him. And just as we were saying earlier that, um, you know, God promises to say, you know, before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. Here he is accusing them. He says, for when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. So um, we have a group of people here that are hypocrites, and God is very unhappy with them. So basically, those who walk in hypocrisy and are legalistic and they think they're doing God a service, but their hearts are far from him. There are people, there's talks about judgment coming to those who oppress God's people. So people who were trying to do the right thing were being pushed out and penalized for it. Um, and then judgment comes to those against God, okay? And six, those who refuse to listen to God and openly rebelled against him will be judged as well. So we've got here some key points out of those texts.
5: Thank you so much. That was well summarised. Ken, Isaiah 66, 17 also tells us about another group that will be judged. What are they, please?
6: Yes, yeah, just basically summing up here, this obviously is the, uh, the group of people that uh, are an abomination to the Lord, and he says that if you haven't sanctu- sanctified yourself to the Lord, that uh, you will be judged when he comes back and you're an abomination to him, and you're going to be consumed.
5: Wow, let's not be an abomination. That's uh, strong words, isn't it? Okay, there are five promises in this section. God extends to those who want to follow him and who choose to be drawn to him as the divine magnet. Lydia, Isaiah sixty six two promises what?
4: Okay, Isaiah six two. it says, For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord, But on this one, I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. So this category of people are those who uh, God promises that to aid uh, and um, they are for those who are oppressed and have been afflicted by the wicked. And uh, in Revelation um, 6 verse 10. Uh, It says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth?
5: Okay, so God is actually going to take care of all those people. And, And Nick, Isaiah 66, 5, he's promised something else. What was that, please?
0: Hear this message from the Lord, all you who tremble at his words. Your own people hate you and throw you out of being loyal to my name. Let the Lord be honored, they scoff. Be joyful in him, but they will be put to shame.
5: Thank you. So he's promised to deliver those who honor and respect him. Len, another promise, please, 66.13.
3: Isaiah chapter 66 in my Bible is entitled Judgment and Hope. And we get to verse 13, and it says, As a mother who comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. A uh, reference text in Isaiah 40 also speaks about comfort. Now, the thought occurred to me, why should people be comforted? What is going to comfort them? But the clue is actually given in Isaiah 40, in verse two and I'll read all of verse two speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. You know, that is so beautiful. Yes. That we can find relief and comfort in understanding that our sins. Have been forgiven Of course we have to ask for forgiveness And God's people will have comfort For that particular reason I did hear a statement once That probably at least 70% of people In psychiatric asylums Are there because they're experiencing guilt But here the promise is given Your sins are forgiven Therefore you are comforted
5: Thank you very much, Len. Okay, another promise in Isaiah sixty six twelve. Ken, just the first part.
6: Well, again, just uh, reading this one. For this says, The Lord behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. So basically what God's saying here is he's, he offers peace to anyone that repentance and forgiveness. And that, I guess the easiest way to sum that one up.
5: Thank you, and it's a wonderful piece that he gives us also, having experienced that peace. Okay, Jo, Isaiah 66.10. Yes, Helen,
1: there's another promise here. Um, he will restore us. Um, it says here in verse 11, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And these are, are great promises that even though things may not be right now, and they weren't right in Israel back then, that their sorrow, their hardship will only last for a short time. And we can compare that to Psalm, Psalm 30, verse 5 and Joel 2, 25 and 27, where God says, again, referring to Israel, but it has full, a lot of meaning for us as well. And there's a promise, never again will I, my people be ashamed in verse 26. And then 27, never again will my people be ashamed. So there will be no cause for um, sadness. All the weeping will be finished and rejoicing will come when he returns. That is perpetual rejoicing. We have rejoicing and we have happiness and joy here on earth. It seems to be always a little tinge of sadness with it. But then it will be just pure joy, pure happiness and contentment that cannot be surpassed.
5: What a great time. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about this time. It's just going to be amazing. Brenton, we've just covered Isaiah 66, 1 to 19. How would you summarise this, please?
2: Basically, in the first part of Chapter 66, you are dealing with false worship. All the verses from 3 onwards talk about how what God will not accept in the way of worship. But the end of verse 2, it talked about those who he would look upon, those who were poor and of a contrite spirit. That's been covered. Verse 5 said, uh, let the Lord be glorified. It starts out by saying, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Again, in summary, we... God is saying there is a way in which to worship me and which is acceptable. Then he contrasts that down in verse 17, where uh, I think Ken touched on this briefly. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh, and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. This is very interesting comment, Helen, because in the time of the Maccabees, Antiochus Epiphanes actually offered a pig on the um, altar of the temple in Jerusalem. And if Jews in that era were caught eating pork or pig's meat, they were considered to be non-Jews. They were basically saying they were no longer God's special people. When you get to verse 19 and 20, God is saying, those outside of Israel have not seen my glory. Now, we tend to look at God's glory as being his merciful, gracious Attitude towards us as human beings. I would like to suggest an alternative in verse 19 and verse 20. When it says these people have not seen my glory, I think it's also referring Helen to the fact that God's judgments upon Israel for their sins is so thorough and so complete that that is actually another way of seeing God's glory. So summarising all of this, I would say simply that there's a contrast between true and false worship and What happens to them in verse 17 is repeated in verse 18 and 19 in the sense that now the whole world gets an evidence that God will not be mocked forever, that you cannot play with God, you cannot play religion, you cannot put on a religious mask because there is going to come a time where God is going to pour forth his judgments. That is very, very applicable in 2021, isn't it?
5: Mm, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Lydia. I have a question. You know, if God says he doesn't want anyone to perish, and yet we're told that those um, who rebel against him will be destroyed, how does the Bible um, equate that? Can you share with us, please?
4: We have a uh, few verses here in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 11 to 13, where it says, Therefore... Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. So here it's telling us that if we know in advance what is going to happen, we should um, reflect God's character to all others that are around us, preparing the way the, of the Lord, of Jesus' coming.
5: What does Isaiah 28, 21 tell us? It says here that for the Lord
4: will rise up as at Mount Perazim. He will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon, that he... May do his work, his awesome or work, and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. So he promised that those who won't uh, listen to his word and he, um, they would not obey his law, they will receive their reward, which is punishment.
5: So it's referring to an unusual act, or some of the, some of the texts say a strange act, but yeah. it was because of love. That, that God was putting this into place. But let's move on. Towards the end of the book of Isaiah, we have a section where God is setting up his people as missionaries and worship leaders and a community of faith. Um, Len, share with us, please, um, what happened in Isaiah 66:18 to 21.
3: Yes. Well, for a long time, the Jewish people thought they were the only ones but who were chosen to be saved. In fact, here in Isaiah 66, verse 18, it says, And I, this is God speaking, because of their actions and their imaginations, am about to come and gather all nations and tongues, and they will come and see my glory. Here is a prophecy that it wasn't just the Jewish people to be God's people It'll be people from different nations, different languages, different ethnic groups. And it also says, as we read on, that these people are going to take positions of teaching the truth that I have for the world. Some people get the idea that they are the chosen ones. Even these days, there are groups of religious people who think they're the only ones to be saved. I know I could name some of these, but I won't at the moment. But that's not the case, because what Isaiah has written is confirmed in Acts 2, 21. It says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then we go over to Galatians chapter 3, uh, and it says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, or you're all one. In Christ Jesus Now if this prophecy hadn't been true How could I be a Christian How could I be saved But the prophecy was true And here we are all From different backgrounds Different ethnic groups Different language groups We can enjoy being saved Because of what the Lord has done
5: Amen, thank you Len I want to jump over on that very theme That you're talking about And Ken, what does John 3.16, or, or does it tell us that God just loves a p- special person? Or what does it say, please?
6: Well, that's a really beautiful uh, verse. It's For God so loved the world that he gives only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I believe the important word in that is whosoever. It doesn't pick any type of particular type of person or any particular type of country. It's anyone at all, irrespective of their background, who believes in the, uh, the Lord and also um, asks for forgiveness of his sin.
5: Thank you. So God loves everyone. Absolutely. Thank I you. Am. Lynn, what about John ten sixteen?
3: God, it speaks of other sheep, not of this fold. I have other sheep. So anybody who gets the idea that they are exclusive to God. I've got the wrong idea. God has people everywhere. Maybe we don't know who they are in many cases, but he has others. So if any of us are thinking that we are exclusive, we are exclusively God's, we're wrong. I've read a couple of texts before. Ken was quoting from John 3.16. There are people from all different walks of life who are actually the Lord's people. Sometimes we don't know who they are, but I want to be in his fold and I want all others who love him,
0: they'll be in his fold too.
5: Amen. Thank you. Nick, yes?
0: I was just going quickly to just add a little bit on what Len was saying because even though we cannot judge and see all those people who's with God or who's not, but one thing we should know, the truth, and the truth will set us free. And if we don't know the truth, then what would we uh, share with um, those people which we are sent to? And this is, I believe, uh, where it all comes together. Those people who are following in the footsteps of Jesus, those people who are following the truth, they are recognized. You'll see that because many people will pretend that they walk in the truth, but they are not. That's probably where the difference is.
5: Mm -hmm. Okay, I see that we are sort of nearly out, so let's just summarize. Uh Ligia in Matthew twenty-four fourteen it tells us we need to do something. What's that?
4: Yes, we have to work to do um to do towards other people that are around us and in in Matthew twenty-four verse fourteen says, In this and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we have to uh, work together with God for the salvation of other souls that are around us and are living in darkness.
5: Amen. Nick, Matthew 28, the Great Commission.
0: And it reads, uh, Helen, Jesus came and told his disciples and told each one of us, I have been given all the authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you all the ways, even to the end of the age."
5: Thank you. Yes, we are told to go and do those things. But, however, Ken, we need something to be able to do that. Acts 1-8, what does that share with us?
6: Yes, we certainly do. And uh, God's speaking here saying but you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, obviously, we are talking earlier on about the electric magnets, and uh, we need the Holy Ghost to be able to have God's word and go out and share it with other people And it tells us in the Bible that this will be shared to the uttermost parts of the earth. But without the Holy Spirit, we are powerless.
5: Thank you. And you're talking about the electric magnet. If you want power every hour, you've got to be connected, don't you? Mm. And that's the same with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Joe, let's hear from you. Here's another promise of the Holy Spirit. It says, I will pour out
1: my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams your young men will see visions. So we have a massive outpouring here. God does not leave us to fumble around on our own. He has promised his presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit to empower.
5: That's a great promise. Len, summarise Revelation fourteen sixty seven. We can't go into it, but what's the message we should be out there sharing now?
3: Well, the message is this. If you want to be part of God's recreation, there are certain conditions. And one of them is found in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, to fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, to worship him as creator. And we know that many people have weird ideas about how the earth came into existence, but we're to worship God as creator. If we worship him as anything else, it's not enough.
5: Thank you so much. And Brenton?
2: One of the most wonderful promises in Isaiah is found in 66.22, and it says in the new heavens and the new earth, our seed and our name will remain forever, no more blotting out, cutting off, grafting in, plucking up or uprooting. We have here a promise, Helen, of eternal life in a world made new, a world without sin, without death, without suffering, a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, how often as a minister I have stood conducting a funeral service and quoted these texts to grieving loved ones. I wonder how much of it they take on board because we all go through grief in different stages and in different ways. But isn't it interesting to know that um, all of this is going to come to an end and what God originally created is going to be restored even better than it was when he created it in the first place.
5: Amen. And Ken, answer the question. God's people will worship how long? Isaiah sixty six twenty three.
6: 23. There God is speaking and it shall come to pass that from one union to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me. And this is just uh, expanding on what Christians are doing today, those that worship through Sabbath of the Lord every week, when the new Jerusalem and heavens is uh, open to us. We will continue to worship the Lord on the Sabbath and it's still his holy day and will remain so forever.
5: Thank you for that. Thank you, panel. I'd just like to finish with a few words, if I may, as we come to the end of our journey through the book of Isaiah. May I suggest that we surrender our lives completely to Jesus as our Lord and Master. Let us be humble and contrite and thirsty for the Holy Spirit to come and live inside us. Let us pray the promises that we've looked at in Isaiah and let us turn to God that we can be new and better temples. Let's get ready to do our part in God's great plan to save multitudes of people from every nation of the world and let us respond to the wake-up call in Isaiah 52.1. It says, awake, awake we perhaps need to step back into Isaiah's shoes and and be transformed by what we have seen in this book of prophecies with regard to God's holiness and God's severity, God's strength and God's closeness. So let's proclaim to a world that has largely forgotten God, that God is bigger than they think. And let's fulfill Isaiah 52, 7 together every single day. I praise God for this wonderful book that he's allowed us to share and to study through. Thank you, panel. And let's finish with prayer. Len, thank you.
3: Father in heaven, we've now been through this book of Isaiah, which points out some of the uh, mistakes that God's people have made over the years, but it also gives us hope, hope of a day when Jesus will come again and when God will make all things new. And those things that plague us at the moment, will be no more pray that all of us will look forward to that time and so order our lives that when our names are called we will be there ready to accept the wonderful offer that's been made for us and it's in
0: jesus name that we come to you this day amen Amen. thank you everyone for uh, your uh, participation Uh, all through this um, couple of months uh, as you mentioned already, was an uh, honor to study together the book of Isaiah. But we are going to invite you to a new, brand new study from next time, and that will be entitled The Promise. And we are going to learn quite a bit about uh, uh, God's promises, God's covenant with us all. And as we just mentioned even today, uh, uh, we are the children of the promise. And... Uh, I'll invite you to join us again, but until then, please keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.